welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Please take your seats. Well, as Tone mentioned, we are in the midst of a series, first couple of chapters of Luke, and I trust that for those that have been here for that series, that you've been enjoying it, getting something out of it, being strengthened in your faith. There are some incredible events that take place in the lead up to Jesus' birth, some that that at first glance are hard to believe because they're not everyday events. But I trust that the process that we've gone through over the last couple of weeks has helped you to understand that these are not events that are intended to be written as, uh, or uh, received as myths, but as history. Okay, and I trust that if you haven't been here for the, for the last couple of weeks, that you'd be jumping onto our website and downloading the messages which are available free of charge there, and so you can get up to speed and, and be blessed by what we've shared over these last few weeks. So, without any further ado, I'm going to jump right into my message this morning, and I'm reading to you from Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says, at that time, this is just after Mary has received a visitation and a message from the angel Gabriel. Mary got ready and hurried down to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was also a lady who um, had, had, her husband had had an angelic visitation, and she also, in her latter years, um, was pregnant. Okay, so that was also a miraculous event. And so these two pregnant ladies are meeting together, and it says in a loud voice, sorry, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. I just want to make a comment initially that you know, the general tone of this, this passage is one of excitement, it's one of anticipation, it's one of joy. Even though if you look at the circumstances, you could possibly look at reasons why it could be otherwise. I mean, here's an older lady facing the prospect of giving birth. That might be a little bit intimidating. We've got a younger lady who's conceived out of wedlock. And again, that could have its issues. But God intended that when there was news of a newborn or of one, an impending birth, that the response to that should be one of joy, excitement and expectation. We know that God had a plan for family. It involves a man and a woman coming together, making a commitment for life. And out of that, uh, I guess an expression, an extension of that love would be the procreation of children. And so that's God's plan. And you know, that's an awesome thing. But I want you to hold that thought just for a moment. And I want to ask you a question. It's a little bit of a deviation, you might think, but you'll see where I'm heading in just a moment. If I asked you to think of the most dangerous environment that you've been to or heard of, where is it? Think of a time and place or history, whether it's now, whether it's in years gone by, that you would classify as being the most dangerous place. I don't know what you're thinking now, but certainly when I ask myself this question, I think of, I think of some of the places that, that are known for violence. Perhaps it's cities or countries that right now we are in the grip of much turmoil. We've got people in our church who've come from South Africa, and um, that nation is known for some of the violence that takes place there. We've got people from, from South America, and I know that one of the uh, most dangerous cities in the world, in any um, studies, it generally comes up as Bogota in Colombia. 
And these are places that are perceived to be very dangerous. But when you look at the figures of those countries and then those towns, you know, you're looking at possibly in, uh, nationally speaking, you might be talking of at, at the peak times of deaths of 20 to 20,000 people, you know, low tens of thousands of people that have murdered in any given year. And those figures have been dropping lately. Any given city, and you might be talking a couple of thousand people per year, which is, I don't want to minimise in any way, shape or form, it's a lot of people. So that's a dangerous place to be in. What about a war zone? And again, I thought about this, okay, a war zone, let's, let's look at the figures for World War II. A, a war that went on for something like six years, and the total casualties, military and civilian they reckon, they, obviously you can't do an exact figure on this, but the different estimates would vary between somewhere between 50 and 70 million people killed during that conflict. I want you to now put that in context with what is actually the most dangerous place on earth, the womb. The number of babies killed per year. If we look at World War II, if you average it out, we're talking about 2 million Sorry, 10 million people killed a year in that conflict. Babies killed in the world per year before they get a chance to be born. Estimates between 40 and 50 million per year. Do you know how many births we have in the world in a year? About 150 million. We're talking a one in four chance of making it out alive because of a a murder, basically. Because of intervention, not because a baby has miscarried, not because of anything else, but because of a decision to take the baby's life in the womb. This morning, I want to look, launching from that script that I mentioned before, at the voice, or I'm calling it the voice of the unborn. Because I want to talk about this subject, because I think as Christians, we need to know God's thoughts about this matter. And I think we need to know how to respond in a godly way to this issue. I'm not here today to point the finger at any person who may have been directly or indirectly involved in an abortion. I'm here to teach every one of us because I think if we are a young person, we could be faced with the challenge of what do we do with this baby or what do I say to my friend who's having a baby and is contemplating abortion. It could affect you directly. It could be as a parent, hearing the news of your child, or it could be your friends. Again, how do we respond? It could be as a grandparent. This affects everyone. As a guy, you're not immune. It takes two to tango. It's only one immaculate conception, one, sorry, one divinely inspired conception, and that was Jesus Christ. The rest of us, it's going to take two. And so, guys, you need to listen up as well. All right, It's not a message just for the girls. It's not about just pointing the finger at those who may have been involved here. You know, for nearly 2,000 years, the church has had a single and united voice on this issue, nearly. It's only just recently changed, but for 2,000 years, pretty much until just the last century, the church stood wholly and solely for the sanctity of life. They spoke against abortion, they discouraged it. It has been practiced not just in the last few years. Abortion's always been a possibility. There have been ways and means to get a baby out of the womb if you want to. It's not a new thing, but the church stood against it. And for those in in ancient Rome and uh, early days where babies were born 
And often they weren't wanted and they were exposed. In other words, they were left out in the open to just die of natural causes, to die of starvation, to die of the cold, to die of the heat, whatever. And the early church would run around and collect these babies and catch them um, coming off of bridges. If people would throw them off of bridges and they would drag them out of rivers as they were thrown into rivers and they would protect life. And that extended not just to the young and the unborn, but also to the elderly and the disabled. That's been the view of the church for nearly 2,000 years. And yet in the last uh, decades, the last hundred years, there's been a shift, and it's been an ungodly shift in the way that many Christians view life, the approach that they take. And I just want to have a look at some teaching stuff. I'm not going to be able to plumb the whole depth of everything that I allude to today. I'm going to mention some theological stuff, but we can't go right into it. But I'm just trusting that by God, by His Spirit, will, that something will resonate in you of the truth of what I'm saying. And if you've got issues with what I'm saying, I trust that you'll go and do your own homework and your own research and get, read the Bible for yourself. You can jump on a website. You can, there's so much information out there about anything that I'm going to talk about today. So don't be misinformed. Don't get invented. Just take it on board. And if you think you need more information, go for it. But the first point I want to make this morning that underpins everything that I'm talking about is the fact that human life is uniquely valuable. You know, the main proponents of abortion hold to a humanistic worldview, where they deny any special creation of humanity and they therefore deny any special significance of humanity. They believe that we, we are here by accident and therefore you are no more significant than a grain of sand or a snail or a monkey or a whale or anything else. That is the bottom line if you come from a humanistic worldview. No more significance than any of those other things. You cannot justify it any other way. You cannot present a strong argument that says anything else than that. For those that hold to a biblical worldview, we would disagree totally. The Bible reveals to us that God created man in his image. One, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then straight flowing out of that, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Nothing else in all creation reflects the image of God like mankind does. Nothing reflects God's image like we do. Every time a person comes into the earth by a birth, the image of God is magnified in the world. The only new originating thing in our universe is a baby in the image of God. Sorry, the only new thing created in the image of God is a baby. And the only thing that comes into our universe that will last forever and ever and ever is a human child. Nothing else in all creation, whether it be in this realm that is seen or the unseen realm of the spirit, qualifies or measures up to that. Human life is uniquely valuable. Regardless of how clever a person might be, regardless of how able-bodied they may be or noble they may be or how the opposite of all those things, no matter how um, lacking in intelligence they are, no matter how disabled they might be, no matter how disfigured they might be, no matter how uh, ignoble they may be, their value is the same because they are created in the image of God. You can get a $20 note or a $100 note and you can, you can have it brand spanking new, it can look perfect, it's awesome, it's worth 100 bucks. You can screw it up and put it in your pocket and you can take it out again. It's still worth 100 bucks. It doesn't quite look the same. You can put it through 10 years of use and put it through the hand of every stinking person. You know, they're drunk, they could have spewed on it and they could have done whatever. 
And the thing might just look, you know, it's, it's been so well used, it's almost see-through. It's like, you know, it's just like a handkerchief, a used one. And you can take that in the shop and you can still buy a hundred bucks worth of stuff it because it's the value is intrinsic, isn't it? And the value of a human being is intrinsic, irrespective. That's the first point I want to make that underpins everything. The second thing is this unborn babies are fully human. Unborn babies are fully human. Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. In addition to denying the value of humanity as a whole, a pro-abortionist, a person who, and pro-abortionist, you don't generally hear that term, what you hear is pro-choice. It's all in the way you say it, how palatable it sounds. But they will usually try and deny the humanity of an unborn baby. This is done explicitly by making arbitrary times. It is not human until it is born. It is not human until it is this old. It is not human until it has these functions or whatever it might be. So there's an explicit denial of humanity until certain moments. And implicitly, there's a denial of humanity by depersonalizing terms such as tissue or blood clot or product of conception or even the term, which isn't wrong in itself, but that term fetus, which just means little one. It's, it's not a bad term in and of itself, but it has a depersonalizing effect. It's a lot different than the word term the Bible uses. Elizabeth says of her little one, the baby in my womb. And once you're talking baby, you're talking personalized. You're talking humanity. Once you're talking fetus or blood clot or tissue or anything else, you're depersonalizing it and you're making it a lot easier to expel that thing from a body. To further draw attention away from the the reality of the humanity of of the child, it's often portrayed as something hostile, often portrayed as a threat to the mother's health or a threat to the mother's lifestyle or a threat to the mother's future. Or possibly it's portrayed as a threat to our society because you know the population in this world is getting so big and our resources seem so limited. Surely it makes sense that if a person, you know, economically and socially, it makes sense to eradicate people that we don't really need in this world anyway. You can see what I'm saying. There's a depersonalization. We're getting away from a baby, creating the image of God, intended to be loved and nurtured and brought up and, and released into society as a contributing member of society, to live forever and be form, uh, become more and more like God to becoming just something like a cancer that is just ripped out and thrown away. A professor in a medical school once posed this medical question or ethical problem to his students. Here's the family history. The father has syphilis. The mother has tuberculosis. They already have four children. The first is blind. The second dies. The third is deaf. The fourth also has tuberculosis. Now the mother is pregnant again. The parents come to you, adv- to you for advice. They are willing to have an abortion if you decide they should. What do you say? There were various individual opinions and then the professor asked them to break into small groups for consultation. All the groups came back to report that they would recommend abortion. Congratulations, the professor said. You just took the life of Beethoven. We cannot make a judgment about what will or won't happen in a life to come. 
the Bible gives a clear and a consistent picture of the unborn. The Bible talks of children as a blessing. And there's no distinction made between whether a person is a baby in the womb or a baby out of the womb. As I mentioned before with Elizabeth and her expression of joy as the baby in the the womb leapt with the Holy Spirit. A baby filled with the Holy Spirit. God doesn't fill immaterial things. In Exodus chapter 21 and verse 22 to 25, there's an interesting little few verses there. It says, if a man is, two men are fighting and somehow a pregnant lady gets in the way and gets one in the, and the baby is born prematurely, there's a penalty, penalty to be paid. If there's no damage done other than a premature birth, there's a figure to be agreed on, a monetary sum. uh, that the father of the child would ask for and that the courts would agree to. Beyond that, it is life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and you know the rest. Because this baby has the same rights as an adult. You kill an adult, it's life for life. Someone loses an eye because of your behaviour, it's eye for eye. They lose a tooth, it's tooth for tooth. It's the same whether you're born or unborn. Or prematurely born. You know, for those that have had kids, even in the womb, and, and certainly the Bible backs this up, that there's evidence of personality. You know, our, our kids are different now that they're older, but even when, when Sally Ann was pregnant, each of them was different. Some, you know, some were more restless than others, some were more docile than others. We've got five. It sounds like I'm talking about lots of kids, but than others, than others. <laughs> But even in the Bible, we see that. You know, it talks about Jacob and Esau, and you know how there's a, you know, there's a wrestle going on in the womb, and you know that's ultimately reflecting their life. But we've actually got some footage of that. I want you to just turn your eyes to the screen and have a look at this. That's for free, just to lighten the moment a little bit, just because it's a little bit heavy. But I do want to show some other footage because I've spoken to you just touched on the, I guess, the tip of the iceberg of the theological foundation for the humanity of unborn babies. But now I'm going to show you some scientific or medical evidence that would back up exactly what the Bible says. The sad thing about that is it says that, you know, a baby has a full set of DNA, heartbeat, brainwaves, etc., before most women would even be sure they're pregnant. Never mind make a decision for an abortion. The third point thing I want to make is that an abortion is not just surgery. Like I said, it's all in the way you say it, isn't it? You call it a fetus or a blood clot or if you call it surgery, it sounds like something that's good. Surgery, the dictionary definition, is the branch of medicine that treats diseases, injuries and deformities by manual or operative methods. That's the sort of stuff that happens for cancer patients. It's the sort of things that, you know, people have got issues, appendix or gallbladder, you know. But I don't know that that really fits what we're talking about when an abortion is taking place. As with the terms used to dehumanise a baby, we find that the term used in abortions are sanitised and to some degree mask the severity of what's taking place. So I looked at some of the different things that different governments in our nation say in terms of their abortion propaganda. And some facts from one of them says this, 
Some facts about abortion in Australia include the following. Australia's abortion rate is reasonably low by international standards. <laughs> Just sweeps over, you know, reasonably low by international standards. 50 million, 40 to 50 million babies, Australia's abortion rate is 80,000 per year. 220 a day. Relatively low by international standards. If you say it fast, it sounds all right. Abortion is one of the safest and most commonly performed surgical procedures in Australia. Again, that sounds all right, doesn't it? One of the safest and most commonly performed surgical procedures in Australia. Safe for who? Abortion doesn't cause emotional distress for most women. That's the sort of stuff you're going to get as a young girl. You log onto a website put up there by the government of our country. You're putting yourself in their hands. I want some information on abortion. Ah, okay. There's not too many people doing it. Doesn't seem too unsafe. It's fairly common. Won't cause me any distress. Ah, oh, I think I'll do that. Sounds all right. Do you know what happens in an abortion? I mean, I'm not going to put anything up here that shows you what happens in an abortion. Some of you have possibly seen pictures or video. To be honest, I couldn't bring myself to put myself through even looking for any stuff. This time around, I've seen pictures of little babies in buckets, dismembered. Because an abortion is not a pretty thing. An abortion involves somehow killing a life. And there's only limited ways you can do that. I mean, the womb is a fairly constricted area. It's not too, you know, you've got to go in there somehow and you've either got to poison the baby or you've got to rip the thing out. And depending on the size, depends on how easy that is to do and the method you will use. You can use a, suck, a method of suction. The vacuum cleaners they use are about 29 times more powerful, apparently, than a household vacuum cleaner. And they will just literally suck bits off. Or they'll get in there and they'll cut and suck things off. Or in some cases, they will, where the baby's later in term, pull a baby most of the way out. And then when the head gets stuck, just make it easy to get out. Can you think about what the newspapers would say if someone broke into another person's house and did half of the things to a family or just one person that happens to babies every day. When you're starting to talk poisoning and dismembering and chemicals that eat away at the skin and internal of a person, it's body in the barrel stuff. It is sick if you put it in its rightful context and and you don't gloss it over with terms like a safe safe bit of surgery with no long-lasting effects, etc., etc., Terminating a fetus is a safe, so much more less confronting or so much less confronting than killing a baby. And I just think as Christians, we need to be aware. This isn't about bringing condemnation. It's just about as Christians, we need to be aware of the stuff that is going on in our society because we are called to be salt and light. And when people come to us for advice, we don't get on our high horse and you know, bring condemnation, but if we know some of the realities of what's going on, hopefully we can bring some direction, some support, etc., Exodus chapter 20, 13 is pretty blunt. You shall not murder. Not you shall not kill even, but you shall not murder. Because, you know, killing is sanctioned in some parts of the Bible. You know, obviously, when there's a death penalty, it's not murder to, to enforce that death penalty. When people go to war or when people are defending themselves, it's not murder. But when you attack an innocent life, surely, if ever there's a definition for murder, that's it. You know, we had a crazy situation in Australia just recently where 
A lady, um, well, I'll read this article to you. It says, Australia has been rocked this week, which was actually two weeks ago, by a selective reduction. Note the terminology, a selective reduction. Gone wrong at the leading Melbourne hospital. A woman was pregnant with twins whom she had already named. At 32 weeks, we've got people in this church who were born before 32 weeks and are doing fine. Thank you very much. After they realised that, uh, sorry, um, the doctors detected significant heart abnormalities in one of the twins and advised her to abort the child. He would have, he would have to have years of operations if he survived at all. So it sounds like possibly a convenience or a financial decision. However, despite a careful study of the, uh, study of the ultrasound, the doctor gave the wrong twin a lethal injection. After they realised their mistake, the, musta- uh, the staff... Sorry. After they realised their mistake, the staff, the live but ill twin, was aborted. The woman was very distressed. She went to the hospital with two babies and now she has none, a friend told the Herald Sun. Three independent investigations are being launched. As British bioethicist writer Peter Saunders points out, this case illustrates the conundrums raised by the notion of the wanted child. It is interesting that the killing of an unwanted child with special needs in the womb is regarded as normal, while the killing of a wanted child is seen as a tragedy and worthy of international news coverage. And yet it is the abnormal baby. Uh, if the abnormal baby had been born, doctors would have presumably have done everything possible to provide what treatment or care they could. Of course, if the second normal child had also been unwanted, then the story would not have warranted a mention. Abortion of one unwanted normal babies takes place over 40 million times every year around the world. There's a massive level of hypocrisy and confusion in our society. When we reduce, when we move away from the absolute standards of God and the values that he places on a person, it comes down to our choice. What do I feel like? What can I afford? How does this affect society? What about my future? Etc, etc, etc. We just get all messed up and we're seeing example after example after example of that. My final point is really, again, it's just to those that have been involved in this situation because in the room of people this size, there is bound to have been people that have been involved either directly in terms of a mother having an abortion or maybe a husband who's recommended or a parent who's forced their child because it didn't look too good on the family record or whatever. The good news there is that the penalty has been paid. You are no worse than the rest of us. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Jesus said, if you look at a person with hatred, you're as good as a murderer. If you look at a woman lustfully, you're as good as an adulterer. We are all in this boat together. And I think it's one of the first things we need to learn is is not to point the finger in judgment, but to understand that any one of us could do anything given the right situation or circumstances. The good news is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 through to 2, 2 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from some unrighteousness. And it says all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Again, I don't think there's too many people who have actually had abortions that maybe in the initial days they try and... and Years, they try and cover it up and make it like no big deal, just an operation, just like getting a toenail, ingrown toenail done or whatever. But when the reality hits, usually it's when they have a child or when a friend has a child, there's an awareness that I've done something very, very wrong here. 
It's if we say we haven't sinned that we're in trouble. But when we have and admit it, we receive forgiveness. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the ultimate innocent sacrifice. The ultimate innocent blood was shed that can cover over even the shed blood of little babies taken from the mother's womb. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sin of the whole world. God's love never fails, neither does the blood of Jesus. There is acceptance and forgiveness for any who repent and come to Jesus for help. Again, there's probably some pain in the room right now. I've been praying before I did this service that any pain that happens will be a healing pain. It will be a pain that will result ultimately in a freedom and a moving forward. Because God has not finished with you. God has a a plan and a future for you. And it doesn't need to be overshadowed by whatever the past has brought into your life. In closing, I do want to have a look at just an appropriate response for us. Again, in their zeal, Christians are sometimes known for being a little bit zealous, aren't they? Or apathetic. (laughs) And both are bad. The zealous ones, you know, they're the ones that want to go and blow up abortion clinics. It doesn't matter who gets in the way. And it's just, you know, two wrongs never make a right. But a godly response to those who've had abortions for us has got to start with compassion. We've got to realise that there's as much of a victim in the mother as there was in the child. A victim of the humanistic worldview that has so pervaded our society that puts self above everything else. It's about you. It's about your future. What about finishing school? What about finishing your degree? What about this? What about that? What about the holiday that you won't be able to afford? All of those things are pushed and pushed and pushed. They're a victim of misinformation, stuff like, it's just this or it's just that, and it doesn't hurt, and it's just like an operation. A victim of the agenda of others. You know, abortionists make squillions of dollars every year. It's a financial decision for them. And they pressure young girls particularly into having abortion because it suits them, keeps them in their nice cars and their big houses and so on and so forth. Sometimes it's about parents who don't want to wear the shame. Let's just try and keep this thing quiet because we're respectable Christians. We can't have a grandchild that's in an unwed situation. Maybe it's boyfriends. I'm not ready to settle down yet. I want to keep going. You, just, you know, if you do, you can bring it up if you like, but you'll be doing it on your own. I won't be around. Put pressure on. Husbands, for whatever reason. A victim, perhaps her own fears about the future, the, the uncertainty of being able to bring a baby into the world and look after it and be all that's required because there's a recognition that this is a massive responsibility. So let's not be critical. Let's not be judgmental. Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And when I begin to look at it like that, and I, and I apply that to every situation, anything, that, you know, not to the point where we can just minimise sin and say, it'll be all right. But I think we need to come from that place of compassion and say, what in that situation would I have done? What would we have done in World War II when people are being marched to get, would we have really stood up as the Jews are being killed in their millions? Would we have really stood up and said, that's bad, you shouldn't do that? Or would we have been one of the people just marching them in to save our own skins, to save our family, etc., etc.? 
Practically, as a church, what can we do? Well, obviously, to those that have had an abortion, we need to offer love, we need to offer acceptance, we need to offer forgiveness, and we need to offer support at whatever level is appropriate. Be it just emotional, whatever it might be. For those that are contemplating an abortion, again, we can't get on a high horse and you've got to do this. But again, it starts with love. It starts with support. It starts with genuous. It starts with forgiving, even the thought of going down that track. It's about informing people of their options. There are options, you know. There are thousands of people in our nation who would love to have a little kid and can't have one. There's the adoption option. There's the fostering option. There are options out there for unwanted babies. They'll be wanted by somebody. There's the support and the promise of support. If you have this baby, we'll be with you. I remember my dad kind of caught me off guard when I was about 15. I don't know if he said the same to Tone. But he obviously heard someone saying stuff about abortion. He walks in, he goes, Pete, I just want you to know, if you ever get a a girl pregnant, I'll look after it. Don't have an abortion. Like I said, I don't know where it came from. I don't know why he said it. But it was just obviously something that was... And and that, that that just did something for me in terms of the importance of life. And it just said it did something in our relationship. But it, again, imagine a church that would make that sort of commitment. So look, you've got yourself into a spot of trouble here, but we're here for you. We're not going to cast you aside. We're going to support you through this. And again, thank God we have young girls in our church. That's a reality for them. For parents of young mums, Sorry, for parents or young mums, for those that may be in that situation, don't put your aspirations, don't put your ambitions or your reputation ahead of the life of a little one. And for married couples, because again, it happens right across the board. It's not just about young girls getting caught out out of wedlock. But even in marriages, it can happen. And it can happen for a whole bunch of reasons. We live in an age where technology is what it is. And you know, we've heard Tony and Kath talk about the advice they were given because of a baby with a deformity. And so there's pressure from doctors to abort. There's the pressure of our lifestyle will change and we're not ready for that yet. And so for married couples, don't put your lifestyle and don't put the words of doctors over and above the word of God. There's going to be some processing that takes place, I know. And Tone, I'm I'm done, mate. I just want to come up. But please don't just dismiss lightly what I've said. If, you, if you've got to check out some of the things I've said and think, oh, I sound a bit far-fetched on what people say, check it out for yourselves, by all means. If you've got to go and have a talk to someone about something that's been a secret in your life or something you've never dealt with, by all means, do that. God will bring healing and you can move forward from here on in. But I just want to thank you just for listening and uh, my time's done. Thanks. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.